So I'm excited uh, to be continuing Unashamed uh, Part 3 tonight. Throughout the course of this series, if you haven't been with us, I'm going to catch you up in about two minutes. But we've been walking through Paul's letter to his friends at the church in Rome. Uh, He hasn't visited them before. He wanted to go visit them. So he wrote them this letter and what we know in our New Testaments as the book of Romans. And so we've been walking through as much as we can in four weeks this letter. It's one of the most complex letters in all the New Testament. It's really, really rich. It's really, really incredible. And we've been trying to break down what it means practically for your life and for mine. And the title for this series comes out of the, the theme verse of the entire letter. Romans 1.16, Paul wrote this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The the, the gospel, the the fact that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died and he rose again for you and for me. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. I want everybody to know about it. It's the greatest news ever. We said in week one that the word gospel literally means God's good news to humans. I love that. I love that. It's so fun. His good news to you and to me that he saved us. So I'm so ashamed. I'm going to give my life to this. That's how not ashamed I am of the gospel. Because it is the power of God. Man, I hope if you walk away with this series from anything that you, the gospel is not just this weird religious thing. It's not just kind of some feel-good thing. No, no, no. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes that it is the power of God. Why is it the power of God? Because before Jesus, we were in this state, we were stuck in our sinful state, that sin, this, this, it's like this disease that, that kept us eternally separated from God and it also was gonna lead us down a path of destruction on this side of heaven. And so the power of God did for us what we were powerless to do on our own. It saved us from the, the chains and the clutch of sin so that we could spend eternity with God in heaven, but also the power of God in this sense, that on this side of heaven, we can live a new life, that we can live a life free of the things that bog us down, free of the sin that holds us back, and experience the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. And last week, this is kind of where we landed, um, that, that sin is no longer something we have to obey, that the power of God saves us for eternity, but also saves us for now. And we said, hey, I am dead to sin, but I'm alive to Christ and sin, you are not my master. That, 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 that sin is no longer a master I have to obey. It no longer has power over me. I have a new master and his name is Jesus. I have a new Lord and his name is Jesus and he wants to lead me to freedom. So sin, and we said to say it out loud. I wonder if any of y'all said it out loud. I wonder if you said it out loud on accident and you felt embarrassed because someone looked at you and thought, what? You know, you're in the library. Sin is not my master. Whoops. Uh, but we literally challenged you to say it out loud, to proclaim it and declare it over your life, sin, you are not my master. And because that's true, because that's true, we can walk in a brand new life and in a brand new direction. And that's what I wanna talk about tonight. Tonight is almost kind of like a part two to last week's message as we kind of continue and walk through Romans because what I believe is that God has saved us and we are now in Christ and sin is no longer our master and now we are free to walk in the fullness that Jesus bought for us. That we are free, watch this, to walk in God's best for our lives. I don't know if you ever thought that, but God has a best for your life. That, 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 that faith, this faith thing is not just an eternity thing, it's a now thing. And God wants you living your best life. And tonight, that's what I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about you and me living our best life. Life. I want to talk about the life that you've always wanted. 
And maybe it's not even a life that you knew you wanted, but I hope by the end of tonight you know that it is the life that you want. You guys remember when you rode the bus in elementary school? Anyone, anyone not ride the bus in elementary school? Yeah, all right. Y'all are probably a little bit more, um, I don't know, yeah, you're protected than we were, the rest of us. <laughs> Crazy stuff happened on the bus, y'all. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know that I can do it, send Harper on the bus. Uh, I'm gonna have to go ride with her. You know, like, you get into the, the fifth grade back of the bus, some shady junk goes down. Um, but you remember on the bus, one of the things that you did, and maybe you did it like, you know, when you're hanging out with your friends, but you played this game called MASH. You guys remember this? You remember this? Yeah. I wanted to do it on stage, but I wasn't really sure how to do that. It, it, for those of you that were deprived as children and don't know what MASH is, MASH stands for mansion, apartment, shack, and house. You remember this? Some of y'all are like, man, this is awesome. Feels so good, you know, take me back. And it was this thing where you kind of like got to, it's like a fortune for the rest of your life. And the way that it worked was, you had like these four categories, you know, it was your job, who you're gonna marry, how many kids you were gonna have, and like how many, car, what car you would drive, you know, and they might have changed a little bit. And so you would pick three for each category, you know, I don't know, fifth grade Samer would have picked, I don't know, a Ferrari, a Mercedes, I don't know, Range Rover, that'd be dope. Uh, 30-year-old Sam would pick that. Uh, you know, I don't know who I would, I would have married in fifth grade. I don't know. Hillary Duff. I don't know who was cool back then. <laughs> Britney Spears. She was, she had just started. Hit me, babe. Uh, and then, I don't know, one of the Spice Girls, probably. That's who was hot back then. You know, and so you would do this. But then what would happen is um, your friend would pick the fourth one in each category. You remember this? So I'd pick Ferrari and your fifth grade friend would be like, oh, garbage truck. You know, and then <laughs> who are you going to marry? Oh, your mom. You know, and they would put... <laughs> They would put like that fourth thing down there, you know what I mean? How many kids are you gonna have? 18, you know, and, and you would do all this. And then, and then they would draw a circle, you know this? They'd draw the circle and then you would say stop and then they'd count the lines all the way through and you'd get a number. And then what you would do is, is you would count through starting with M-A-S-H and then you would count through and every time you landed on a number, you know, if it, the number was eight, you count eight and then you'd cross that thing off. And you kept going until there was one thing left in each category. And then, you know, you remember this? You'd always say, so Samer's life is, he's gonna live in a mansion, he's going to be driving a garbage truck, married to your mom, and he's going to have this, you know, and then that would be your fortune. And sometimes it was really great, and sometimes it wasn't. But it's like, hey, this is what I, this is like my best life. Like this is, this is the life I've always wanted. And you had a little, a friend that kind of, Mess up. You remember that? And it's so funny because like now you're hitting this stage of your life where you're kind of like playing real life mash. You know, it's like I got the rest of my life coming. You know, I got to figure out what my job is going to be. Some of y'all are like, man, I don't know who I'm going to wear. I don't even have three slots to fill. You know, I'd be happy with one. And, and you're like trying to figure out what the rest of your life is. And that's awesome. And that's exciting and probably a little bit stressful and probably a little bit scary. But here's what I'm learning, uh, the more I follow Jesus and the more life that I begin to experience. And so oftentimes when we think about the life that we've always wanted, it's directly connected to our job or whoever we're gonna live or who we're gonna marry and all that's really important and that's not really the point of tonight's message. But, but what I'm learning more and more and more is that the life that, I'm always, that the life that I've always wanted is more about who I am becoming than what I'm actually doing. It's more about who I am becoming than the money that I'm making. It's more about who I am becoming than what kind of car I'm driving. Who I am becoming. 
that the life I've always wanted is more directly connected to who I'm becoming than just about anything else. And here's why I say that, because who I am becoming and who you are becoming influences everything in your life. Because you go everywhere that you go, and you are everywhere that you are. And so who you are becoming influences every single thing in your life. That who I am becoming, man, it's gonna impact the legacy and the influence that I leave. More than ever before, I am more worried about being an amazing husband and a father to my family than anything else. That who I'm becoming is going to directly impact the kind of husband and the father that I wanna be. That, that who are you are becoming right now is going to influence the kind of husband and the wife that you're going to be one day. Who, are you, who you're becoming is going to determine how you date right now and how you treat her or how you treat him. Uh, who you are becoming right now is going to determine um, how much baggage you bring into your next relationship or how much baggage you don't bring into your next relationship. Man, it's going to determine the kind of friend that you are right now, the kind of roommate that you are right now. Who you are becoming is going to determine the kind of joy and peace that you live with every single day. The more I follow Jesus and the more I navigate life, the more I am learning that who I am becoming hits home way more when I think about the life I've always wanted than anything else. And here's the crazy thing. Maybe it's not crazy to you, I don't know. But your heavenly father and my heavenly father, he cares about who you are becoming. That faith is not like this list of rules and it's like a religion. No, no, it's a relationship where your heavenly father cares about who you are becoming. He cares about how you are developing and how you are growing. In fact, the second you put your faith in Jesus, the second you go from in Adam to in Christ, the rest of your faith journey is this journey of sanctification, which is a really fancy theology word meaning this the process of growing to look and live more like Jesus. That for the rest of your life, it's not about earning anything, it's not about being good enough for anybody, it's not trying to get a good enough thing to be in God's whatever. No, no, for the rest of your life and for the rest of my life, the lifelong journey is for you to be sanctified to the process of looking and living more like Jesus, a little bit more every day single day. The process of rooting out the sin in your life that is holding you back. Uh, the, the process of growing in the areas of your life that don't come naturally to you because we have this bent towards sin that always wants to take us back to our previous life before Jesus. The process of learning to unconditionally love people just as our heavenly father through Christ loved us. The process, this is crazy, of you becoming the best version of yourself because that's what God wants for you. He's created you for works, and he's created you with a purpose. The process of you redefining purpose in your life and redefining a calling in your life and even redefining what success is and what it looks like, the process of you looking at life with a brand new filter because of Jesus' follower, we've got eternity in mind, just not the here and now. We're thinking about forever. We've got way more at stake, the process of looking more like Jesus every single day. And I'm telling you, that process 
in you and in me is going to lead you and I to become the best possible versions of ourselves. And I don't mean that in like a self-help kind of way. I don't mean that in like a behavior modification kind of way. I literally mean that when we follow behind Jesus and when we lean into the spirit that lives inside of us, there is no way other than for his greatness to rub off on you and on me. And you'll begin to experience God's best for your life as you begin to look more like Jesus every single day. And I don't care who you are, I don't care whether you believe in Jesus or not, here's what I know about you is that you wanna grow and you wanna get better. In fact, did you, this is, this is crazy. Did you know that in the United States of America, the self-help market is worth over $10 billion? You wanna get rich? Write a self-help book. I should do that, I don't know why, that'd be great. I'll do ministry for free the rest of my life. Like literally, people are obsessed with getting better. And they're trying to figure out where to get help. And I got nothing against self-help, that's great. Self-discipline, self-help, I'm not knocking it, that's fine. But here's what I do know is that people care about getting better. But what I want you to know tonight is self-help is only gonna get you so far. In fact, the very essence of the gospel is that we could not help ourselves, but we need to rely on God to help us. The very essence of the gospel is that we were helpless in our sin and God saved us from our sin. And now in this process of you growing to be more like Jesus and stepping into the fullness that God has for you, that Jesus died to give you, you play a part in it. But there's another part, a massive part, that is a part of it as well. I had a seminary professor say that the process of growing more like Jesus is like thing one and thing two. Remember this from Dr. Seuss? Thing one and thing two, those little twins that look like aliens and elves mixed together, thing one and thing two. That the process of you growing to be more like Jesus is the spirit of God that lives inside of you, thing one, and you, a little bit of thing two. Thing one, thing one, thing one, thing one, and a little bit of thing two. And Jesus gave us a promise. Jesus gave us a promise that he did not come just with eternity in mind. He gave us a promise that on this side of heaven, we'd experience the fullness of life. He said this in John 10, 10, I have come to give you life and that you might have it to the full. He's talking about on this side of heaven too, not just eternity, that you'd have a fulfilling life, that you'd experience the fullness of what God has for you. And what does that look like? Thing one and thing two, the spirit of God that lives inside of you when you are in Christ and then you cooperating and surrendering to that spirit. So I'm gonna give you kind of like my bottom line for tonight's message so that if you, you know, kind of zone out or you fall asleep or you start thinking about that chemistry test that you have tomorrow, you can at least remember this. So if you're taking notes, write this down. And this is kind of the overarching theme tonight, where we're going, is that pursuing God's best for you begins with walking by his spirit in you. That you wanna pursue God's best for your life and you wanna walk into the fullness and the freedom that Jesus won to give you, it starts with and it begins with not just by trying harder, not by clenching your fists and like trying to be like a better person. No, no, it's by walking by his spirit that lives inside of you. And so that's where we're going to. I wanna talk about walking by the spirit and what that produces in you and what that produces in me. And I know that kind of, some of you is like kind of weird, like what do you mean the spirit, you know? It's like kind of mystical, and there's a lot that we don't understand, and there is a level of mystery, but there's also a level of tangibleness to this that I wanna to bring to this conversation tonight. And so we're gonna pick up in Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, the entire chapter, I wish we could go through every verse. It's all about walking by and living through the spirit of God that lives inside of you and inside of me whenever we put our faith in Jesus. And so the apostle Paul, 
In Romans chapter eight, verse six, he writes this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Now we talked about this last week. You're gonna notice it really does feel like a part two to last week. But the flesh is always contrary to the spirit. The flesh in the New Testament is something that desires sin. It's like our sinful nature. It's our broken part of us. And the spirit is God in you and in me. And so he says that those who live according to the flesh, it's because they have their minds set on the flesh desire, on what the flesh desires. But those who live in, according, in accordance with the spirit, they have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh leads to one thing. The mind set on the spirit leads to another. What are you focused on? Here's what he's asking. Like, what is your focus on? What are you consumed by? What is your mind set on? Because here's a principle of life that you need to understand is that you will always follow the direction of your focus. You will always follow the direction of your focus. This happens all the time. You remember when you used to text and drive? It's illegal now. Or you know when some of you still illegally text and drive, okay? The reason why it's so dangerous, A, is because you're literally looking at something other than the road, duh, okay? You're driving a piece of metal very fast down the road and you're not looking where you're going. That's why it's dangerous, right? But do you remember when you used to do this? Because none of us do this anymore. You got your steering wheel right here and you pick up your phone right here. And so you're kind of looking at it and you're kind of texting. And what happens? You're looking six inches to the right and what starts to happen? You know, you start going to the other lane. Or if you're in the right lane, you hit those little rigid things. It's like, and like, oh shoot, you know, and you get back over. Why? Because you will always follow the direction of your focus. And the same is true with your faith. The same is true with what you let your mind be consumed by. You will always follow the direction of your focus. Another way to say it, you will always be controlled by what consumes you. So Paul is saying, hey, so if you are living out the desires of the flesh, it's because your mind is set on the desires of the flesh. So let me ask you a question. Is that what your mind is set on? I don't know, like, is the only thing you're thinking about when you think about living life and making decisions, I just want to have a little bit of fun. Uh, I just want to do something that feels good. Uh, I want to do whatever it takes to be successful no matter who gets in my way. I, I, I want to trade whatever I want most for what I want now. When we, when we are trying to fulfill the desires, especially when our minds are set on those things, well, we are going to live in accordance with the flesh. And we're going to make decisions that we regret. And we're going to allow sin to be our master. But he says, but those of us who have our mind set on the spirit, those that have our mind set on the things of God, on the ways of God, on loving people, on wanting to pursue his righteousness, understanding that his ways are higher than our ways, understanding that sin is no longer our master, man, then we begin to walk in that spirit. And, and look at the end of the verse. The mind governed by the flesh is death. It's not a threat. He's not trying to scare you. He's just talking about this. We said this every week in the series, that every time there is sin, there's a plus one, death. Every time sin comes rolling in, it's best friend, it's death. Every time sin comes rolling in, death is always with it. That sin will kill every good thing in your life. 
And so I'm not, he's not talking about death, eternity, separate from God, yeah, yeah, but he's talking about the death of the good things in your life and in your heart here and now. But he said, but the mind governed by the spirit, it leads to life and peace. Life, this is that fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. Purposeful, life-giving, healthy, and then peace. What does this mean? This means peace with God and consequently peace with other people because you can't have one without the other if you follow the New Testament. Peace with God and as a result, peace with people. And the apostle Paul, um, he actually shows us practically what this looks like. He he shows us practically what it looks like and he puts some really helpful words around what the life looks like that is governed by the flesh and what the life looks like that is governed by the spirit. He actually wrote another letter uh, called Galatians. In fact, scholars call Galatians a mini Romans because the themes are very similar. Even the language is really similar. And we're gonna jump to a passage in Galatians here and you're actually gonna start to see, oh wow, I can understand the mini Romans thing because I'm seeing some of the same words. But I wanna jump to Galatians for just a second because what he unpacks is what the actual life looks like that is governed by the flesh. And that's what he says in Galatians chapter five. He said, the acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh. The mind governed by the flesh. The mind governed by our sinful desires are obvious. This is what your life and what my life produces when we are bending to the flesh, when we are allowing ourselves to be consumed by the flesh, that your life produces and what you do, sexual immorality and impurity, that that, that what starts to happen is you begin to do things that go against your conviction, that you begin to look at things that you don't need to look at, that you allow sexuality to be in a relationship that you know is only going to hurt the relationship that you do things with a person that um, you probably know that you don't want to be doing, but for whatever reason you wanna do it because it feels good or you wanna hear something from them and you end up regretting something later on. It's you putting your eyes on things that are beginning to burn images into your brain and it's actually ruining your future intimacy with your spouse. That's what starts to happen when we allow the flesh to rule is that what starts to be produced in your life is sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery. And then he says an idolatry. You know what idolatry is? Idolatry is when you worship something that was never meant to be worshiped. Idolatry is when you put something at a place in your life and it cannot hold the weight of that priority in your life. Some of us have worshiped a relationship, you've worshiped a job, you've worshiped success, you've worshiped a degree, you've worshiped the approval of others, and the only thing that you want is to get that thing But isn't it so true that you begin to bend and do things you never thought you'd do, you become someone you never thought you'd become, you say things you never thought you would say, and then you get that thing and you realize it wasn't all it was chalked up to be, and you're only left wanting a little bit more. Witchcraft, it's a Harry Potter kind of junk, y'all. Paul dealt with some crazy stuff. Man, I don't know if witchcraft applies. I don't really know how to talk about that, but don't go casting spells on people. We good? Okay. But apparently that can happen if you let the flesh rule. Somehow to whip out like a Harry Potter one. Um, he goes on, hatred and discord. That, that, that all of a sudden um, you start having disagreements with people, that there's hatred, that, that you literally don't get along with other people. That all of a sudden, um, the, the, the people that you're supposed to love, you start to find reasons to be angry with them. You start to find reasons to put people at a distance. That if people hurt you, then there's never room for forgiveness. If people did something for you, then they are out, they are done, and it doesn't matter. Hatred um, is, is you even maybe hating a certain group of people, hating a certain someone for something they did, for who they are. That all of a sudden, when we let the flesh rule, we start to see people as less than people. 
hatred, he says, and discord. Jealousy, you know what jealousy is? Jealousy is not wanting what somebody else has. That's actually envy later down on the list. Jealousy is when you have something and you're constantly afraid that somebody is going to take it. It's like when you have that friend and you're like BFFs with them and they start hanging out with somebody else and you start feeling this thing of, well, I don't want them hanging out. What if they become better friends than we become? That's what jealousy is. You start living your life on eggshells. You start trying to clutch on to things. You start growing really, really insecure about what you have because you're afraid you're about to lose it. And you start treating other people differently because of it. It's an ugly side of you and an ugly side of me. Fits of rage, it's when you hulk out, you know? But really think about this. It's when you get angry about something and it did not deserve that kind of reaction. It's when you have a disproportionate reaction to something that was not that big of a deal. This happens to me all the time. When I get frustrated about something or I lash out at something and Julie's like, whoa, 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 what is going on? Because this was not that big of a deal. You get in a fight with your roommate about something, you get in a fight with your girlfriend or your boyfriend about something and it was not that big of a deal, but you reacted. That there was something in you that raged up and something that was not that big of a deal became a big deal because you made it a big deal. Selfish ambition that when you only care about yourself, when your mind is focused on the flesh, guess what? Nobody else matters. That it's always about looking out for number one, that it's all about me all the time, getting what I need, getting what I want, no matter the cost. Every relationship is about me. Every dating relationship is about me. Every friendship is about me. Every situation is about me. All I'm trying to get is mine. You don't have to tell me, you don't have me to tell you that those aren't even the people that you want around you or in your life. Yet when we are consumed by the desires of the flesh, that's what gets produced in your life and in mine. Dissensions and factions, disagreements all the time. Factions, um, the Apostle Paul, if he were today, he might call it like being clicky. I know that sounds so middle schoolish, but let's be real, it still happens that there are insiders and there's outsiders, that you've kind of got your own group and nobody can be on the inside or, 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 or they're on the outside and they're gonna stay on the outside. It can happen by leaving people off of a text. I know that, that silly sounds, but it's just so true. It can happen by not inviting somebody. It can happen by making somebody feel less than that they cannot be a part of. Let me just tell you, in the family of God, there is no such thing as insiders and outsiders. No, 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 if you want in, then you are in. And envy, this is when you constantly want what somebody else has. That you are never content. You're always wanting that is exhausting. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Come on. You don't even need me to tell you this. That's not the life that you want. That's not what you want to be true about you. That's not the story that you want to tell. That's not the reputation that you want to build. You don't even have to be a Jesus follower to know. No, that's not, that's not the person I want to date. That's not the person I want to marry. That's not the person I want to live with. But when we are consumed by the flesh, again, remember, you're going to follow the direction of your focus. That's what starts to get produced in your life and in mine, and it is ugly. And I don't care how long you've been following Jesus, you are crazy to think that that can't come up in your life. Because it certainly comes up in mine. Paul goes on, jumping back to Romans. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But here's the good news is that that doesn't have to be your story. The power of God that saves us gives us a new way. The power of God that saves us gives us a new life to live and a new breath to breathe. He goes on, you, however, 
are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Implication, when you are in Christ, the spirit of God lives in you. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. That even though the body we have right now is slowly decaying, literally it sounds depressing, but every day we live is like another day we're closer to death. On this side of heaven, death is a real thing. But ultimately on this side of heaven, we can have life by pursuing the righteousness of Christ. But also we know that death is only a comma because after this life is over, there is life beyond this life because of Jesus. Paul goes on and he says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, think about that, the same, the same one, not like a, a smaller version. No, 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 like the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave and defeated sin and death. It's the same spirit that lives in you and in me. It's why in John, Jesus said, it is better that I go so I could send that spirit down. Are you kidding me? It lives in you and it lives in me. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We believe that God is a, a trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The Spirit is not like a little stepchild. It's not like a distant cousin. It is God like the Son is God, and it is God like the Father is God, and that Spirit lives in you and in me. And because of that, we can walk in that Spirit and by that Spirit, and because of it, it gives us life, a brand new life. And the Apostle Paul, again in Galatians, he shows us what that life looks like and what that life produces in you and in me. Galatians, going back to Galatians, he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, the mind that is consumed with the ways of God, with the Spirit being focused and fixed on the desires of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is what's produced in your life and in my life. This isn't like necessarily trying harder. This is when we are walking by the Spirit, what it produces in you. It produces love, love. And I don't mean like I kinda like you love. Like, oh, I love you too, girl. No, 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 no. Like, a self-sacrificial kind of love. Like, a love that looks at someone else and says, you before me. A love that lays down. A love that says, hey, I'm not out to get mine. I'm out to give you yours. Like, a love that says, I'm not going to put me first. I'm going to put me second, third, fourth, and fifth. I'm going to keep putting you first. A love that sacrifices self for the sake of other People. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if that love ruled all of your relationships? Could you imagine if that love defined your friendships? You know how healthy your dating relationships would be if that's how you dated with that kind of love? Not like the L word, I love you, we're getting married, but like, no, I'm loving you because you are a daughter of God. Like, I'm loving you because you are a son of God. Like, I'm not gonna lead you on and I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna put your interests before mine that I'm, gonna put, I'm not gonna push you, I'm gonna put your interests before mine. Could you imagine if that kind of love ruled your relationships and your friendships? I mean, come on, right? Strangers that you don't even know, people that you bump into, could you imagine? Hey, you before me. Joy, you know what joy is? Joy isn't happiness. Happiness is based on emotion. 
I can wake up in a bad mood just because it's a Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just is. Like, nothing happened. Alarm sounded weird today, so I just woke up and I hate the world. <laughs> yeah. Joy goes beyond happiness. Joy is something deep-seated where no matter what you're going through or feeling, you've got gratitude stored away in your heart. You've got thankfulness stored away in your heart. It's like those Chick-fil-A employees. You know what I'm saying? Something about them, man. I'm like, can I get some of that joy just a little bit? Like, I'm like, you're too nice. Like, I'm already buying food. You could chill, you know? But there's something about that that's contagious. Don't you love to be around people that aren't just complaining about life, but they got this deep-seated joy that just doesn't seem to go away? They're grateful and they're thankful and they keep moving. That's what the Spirit produces in you. Peace, man. How many of y'all wish you weren't stressed about something? Woo! Preach, Sam. Come on. It's like you're supposed to be stressed in college and anxious and worrying about things. Could you imagine peace that no matter what you face, you've got this quiet trust that God is with you? This deep-seated, calming trust that God is for you, that he's going to lead you, that he's gonna take you where he wants to take you, that he's gonna get you through whatever it is that you are going through. Paul calls it the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make any sense to humans, but it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Could you imagine living with that kind of peace? When we're walking by the Spirit, when we are consumed by the desires of the Spirit, man, that starts to get produced in your life. I want some of that peace. It doesn't go away when you get 30. It gets worse. You get bills to pay. You got so much stuff to worry about. I got a mortgage. I hate mortgages. I only have one. Could you imagine peace, forbearance, or patience? I don't know about you, but I'm not a very patient person. Um, I tend to lash out at people if they're not moving at my pace or I get angry with people who are, you know, at restaurants. Like, I know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not perfect. That's really bad. Like, I just, I'm not good at being patient. I'm not being good at patient. I'm not being good at patient with anybody because I'm thinking you need to move at my speed. But could you imagine how much better your world and my world would look if people who claim to be Jesus followers started to slow down to the pace of other people, decided to be patient with other people? Understand that everybody's a work in progress. Understand that not everybody is where they need to be. And guess what? You don't know where everybody needs to be anyway, so stop acting like it. That starts to be produced in your life, Paul says. Kindness, you know what kindness is? Kindness is like that weak word, like when you got nothing else to say about them. You know, how are they? Uh, kind. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, you know? It doesn't get enough credit. You know what kindness means? This is so cool. Kindness, it means to lend your strength to somebody that needs it. That's why I've ever thought when someone does something for you, your first thought is to say that that was so kind. What they're doing is they're lending your capacity, their capacity to you, kindness. They're lending their strength to you, kindness. They're seeing a need and they're lending themselves to you, kindness. That starts to get produced in you. That you don't overlook things. You're not in too much of a hurry for things. You stop for things. You go out of your way for things. You help people move. Hello. Kindness, Paul says. That starts to get produced in you and in me. Gentleness. Gentleness. Again, that we would move at the pace of others in our interactions with people. We would not be rigid in our interactions with people. 
we would understand that the, 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 the way that we speak to them, the tone with which we speak to them, the tone in which we say things, the posture with which we go about conversations changes the way you say things. Self-control, how many of y'all want a little self-control in your life? My goodness. Some of y'all, some of y'all, this is huge. Some of you guys would have regretted a lot less things if you had a little bit more self-control in your life. You wouldn't have sent that text. You wouldn't have gone over to her house. You wouldn't have gone out to that thing. You wouldn't have gone over there. You wouldn't have done this. If you had a little bit of self-control, being able to tell yourself no, the Spirit of God empowers that in you and in me. And I miss goodness and faithfulness. I mean, goodness, those kinds of people that you're just drawn to, I mean, that's just a good dude. I mean, she's just, she's just such a good person that there's something you're drawn to in them, something about their spirit, something about the way they treat people. And faithfulness, come on, being the kind of person where your yes is yes and your no is no, like not being flaky, my gosh, I wish we could stop being a little bit flaky. No offense, I used to be there, but college students, y'all killing me sometimes. Don't be flaky. Have integrity. Like, yeah, this is who I am all the time not just on Wednesday nights. This is who I am all the time, not just when I'm with my church people. No, no, if I tell you something, I'm gonna stick to it. Faithfulness, could you imagine being able to be depended on? Like, that's what is produced in you when you've got your mind set on the desires of the Spirit. And again, you don't even need to be a Jesus follower to know that's the kind of life you want. That's the kind of person you wanna marry. That's the kind of husband you wanna be. That's the kind of student you wanna be. That's the kind of leader that you want to be. That's what I want to be my life about. Like, when I'm gone, they're not gonna remember anything else. What I hope they remember, they're not gonna remember me for anything I drove or, or any car that I'm in, but I hope they remember me as someone who was loving, who was kind, who was patient, who had self-control, who was gentle, who exuded goodness and was faithful. And when we walk by the Spirit, that's what's produced in you and in me. And you know, this is so cool. Fruit, let me about this. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. I love that. Fruit in a plant is a sign of life. If fruit's going on a plant, you know something good is going on in that plant. When your life is producing fruit, there is life in here, and it's not you. There's a sign that there is something special going on in you, and that's the Spirit. But you know what else? Fruit also gives life and sustenance to other people. So not only is it a sign of life in you, you get to be life for other people, that all of a sudden, the fruit that you are producing is life-giving to those around you. You wanna talk about stepping into God's best for your life, he says, the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul concludes in Romans, he ends this passage, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. It is not my master. I don't want that flesh life. I'm not about that flesh life. I'm not trying to have that be a part of my life to living according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's gonna lead to death. It's gonna kill the good things in your life. There's no fruit. There's no sign of life. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That you can live life through the Spirit because it lives inside of you. And so I go back to the overarching idea. Pursuing God's best for you, pursuing God's best for you is 
begins with walking by his spirit in you, that God has a best for you. And man, I hope you are inspired tonight to know that that fruit of the spirit, man, it's the, it's the life you've always wanted, but maybe you did not know it until tonight. And how does it begin? By walking by his spirit. What does that look like? Three things, and then we'll get out of here. How do you walk by the spirit? It's so like weird maybe. What does it look like? I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. The first is this. Surrender to the spirit, be attentive to the spirit, and trust the spirit. I want you to surrender to the spirit. Acknowledge that he exists. Acknowledge that he's with you. I want you to, to verbally tell the spirit, hey, I'm gonna follow you, I'm not gonna follow me. I'm gonna roll with you, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go with what I want, what my flesh wants, what my fleshly desires want. No, no, I'm gonna believe that your way is better than mine. I'm gonna surrender my life to the spirit. Oftentimes when I'm praying, I'll pray like this. Because oftentimes my posture before God does something special in my heart. I wanna surrender to the spirit. I wanna surrender my way to his way. I wanna surrender what I want to what he wants. This surrender so much is a posture and attitude of my heart than anything else. I wanna surrender to the spirit. I want you to be attentive to the spirit. That means making time to hear from the spirit. Like spending time with your heavenly father, spending time in the scriptures, spending time in prayer, creating space in your crazy, busy schedule to be led by the spirit, to hear it speak to your heart, to pay attention to conviction. You know when you touch something hot and without even thinking, you just pull, you don't even think. Like you're not like, oh, this is hot. Oh my gosh, it's burning me. I should move my finger, you know. It happens automatically. Because you feel something, oop, don't need to do that, and immediately you move it away. Those sensory things on your fingers literally save our lives. Our nerve endings save our life. Otherwise, we would not know that there was something wrong going on. The Holy Spirit's conviction in your life works the exact same way. That all of a sudden you start feeling conviction. It's like, oh, I need, I need to back away from that before too much damage is done. Some people feel bad if they start feeling conviction. No, no, let me tell you, conviction is a sign that the Spirit of God is alive in you and he's doing something in your heart. You need to be encouraged when you are convicted because he's steering you in a new way. He's keeping you from something that's going to hurt you. He's keeping you from something that's gonna lead to destruction. So be attentive to that. When you feel conviction, respond to that. Sometimes it's being convicted and, and paying attention to the people in your life. One of the ways you can be attentive to the Holy Spirit is stop being in a hurry all the time. I'll tell you what, man, the times I'm least attentive to the Spirit is when I'm in such a hurry because I've got somewhere I need to go and I've got no margin in my schedule because I've got somewhere I need to be and all of a sudden anything that the Holy Spirit might be trying to make me attentive to right here, I'm not even paying attention because I'm so focused on where I'm going. Create margin in your life. You're always living in a hurry. You're always going to miss where he's trying to lead you. Be attentive to the Holy Spirit, and then trust the Spirit. Like, trust that he's with you. Trust that he's got you. Trust that his leading is better than anything you might be trying to seek after on your own. Trust that he is with you. So I want you to surrender to the Spirit tonight. And I sounds kind of weird. I don't, know. I don't even believe in God. Okay, I get that. It's okay. I want you to be attentive to this. I want you to create margin. I want you to spend time with God. I want you to pay attention to conviction. I want you to pay attention to the leading. And I want you to trust the spirit. And so much of this, I know this is kind of like, kind of practical, kind of not. Here's what I've learned is that it is more of an attitude of my heart. 
in an attitude of my mind than anything else. That I want to be in tune and consumed with the ways of God. And I'm telling you, as you do, it'll surprise you, but you'll start to look like Jesus. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to invite the band out here in just a second. I was flying to Raleigh, North Carolina a few years ago. I was going to speak for a church out there. And I was running a little late. Security was crazy, y'all, like crazy. And so I, I finally get through security, and, I, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm running to the gate. I'm that guy. I hate that guy. I was that guy. I hated him, but I had to be that guy. I'm running to the gate. And I get there 10 minutes before my flight is supposed to leave. That's a very important detail. I get there 10 minutes. I get up to the gate. And I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. My name's Simmer. I'm here. I've got a flight. And she looks at me, and she's like, ooh. I was like, oh, oh, what is that supposed to mean? And she said, uh, I'm sorry, sir. We gave your seat away. And I was like, I'm sorry, sorry. I, I've been running. I can't breathe. I, I'm probably not hearing. I took my AirPods out. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I, I thought you, this is so funny. I know, you're going to laugh at me. I thought you said you gave my seat away. <laughs> what did you really say? No, sir, uh, Delta policy, uh, at 10 minutes to boarding, we can give your seat away to standby. And y'all, I'm about to rage. <laughs> like, I'm about to punch her in the throat. <laughs> and I would never hit a girl, but like, I'm about to lose it right now. Like, everything in me is about to like go crazy on this world. And I'm not kidding, I can't explain this. But I know it was not of me. I'm not kidding. In this moment, this is all a matter of seconds. I'm like about to just like go nuts, probably go to jail. I'm like, I'm like banned from Delta. Like this is about to happen. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm not kidding. It's funny. I was going to be preaching about this passage when I was going to North Carolina. So it had been in the back of my mind. I've been looking at it. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, clothe yourself with kindness and gentleness and patience. And it, it just came to my mind. Literally just back here, clothe yourself with patience. I'm not kidding. And I remember thinking that in this split second, I went from about to rage and I just, I think she was even surprised. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, I have to get to Raleigh. What can we do? And she got me on the next flight out an hour later. And I left that booth, whatever, and I called Jill. I said, babe, you're going to be so proud of me. She's like, good job, Samer, yay! You did it! You went to the bathroom by yourself, you know? You know why she was so proud, man? Because that's not me. Gosh, she knew that. I knew that. I'm making that phone call from jail if it was me, you know what I'm saying? I'm flying spirit for the rest of my life if it was me. It wasn't me, man, I can promise you that. But it was evidence that there is this spirit that is chipping away at the dark spots in my heart, chipping away at the, the fits of rage in my heart, chipping away at the impatience in my heart and slowly making me look more like Jesus. And I'm telling you, you begin to walk by that spirit, you begin to surrender daily to that spirit, you begin to ask of that spirit, you begin to trust that spirit and be attentive to that spirit, it's gonna start to surprise you you start living your best life. Why? Because you start emulating the one who came to give us life, Jesus. And you begin to step into the fullness that he has for you.
Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you've given us your spirit and we're so grateful that you are with us. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to walk by that spirit. I pray you would give us the awareness to be led by that spirit. Father, I pray you begin a work in every single person in this room tonight, whether they are of faith or not, that you would begin a work in each of them, that you would challenge them, that you would encourage their hearts. And I pray, Father, that tonight might be the beginning of a journey for so many where every single day from here on out is the process of looking a little bit more like Jesus. Thank you that you're not interested in a religion, but you want a relationship with us that grows us, that changes us. And I pray, Father, that Kennesaw, Woodstock, Reinhardt, wherever these people find their circles of influence, that it would be different because of your spirit at work in them, that the temperature in those relationships would be different because of your spirit at work in them. We're asking your spirit to move in our hearts. I pray that we would trust it. I pray we would follow it. And I pray we would surrender to it. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.